Today's sermon comes from Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. One of the predominant themes in Paul's letter to the Galatians is freedom. Shows up numerous times. We see it here in verse 4 as the, the false brothers came in to spy out the freedom. Paul says that we have in Christ Jesus. You get to chapter 5 and he says, is for freedom that we have been set free. And this freedom is a strong, strong theme throughout the book of Galatians. What is freedom? Well, we think about Martin Luther King, his words in his 1963 address, the end of his speech on the march on Washington for civil rights. We think of him belting out, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. Right? Freedom is delivery or deliverance from some sort of bondage or oppression. Well, those words that Dr. King spoke were actually from a song lyrics from a song that the original and primary meaning of those words was freedom from sin through Jesus Christ. See, freedom is not, freedom is not the absence of constraints, and that's where our culture gets it wrong, but it's the, it is the mantra of our culture that freedom is just absence from any kind of constraint. That's not the kind of freedom that Paul's talking about. Paul talks about a freedom that is not the absence of constraints, but the right kind of constraints. So freedom from the constraint of sin to being constrained by Jesus Christ. It's freedom from the life-stealing constraints of sin to the life-giving constraints of Jesus Christ. And this kind of freedom produces something beautiful. Think about our solar system. Think about the order and the, the harmony in our solar system. Right? We have planets that orbit around or revolve around the sun. Why? Because the sun has a gravitas about it that holds the planets in place, that keeps them from just uh, uh, spinning wildly out of control or, or or hitting each other. And you know that if the sun were removed, that's exactly what would be happening. There'd be chaos in our solar system. Life would be taken. 
slavery to sin is slavery to self. Slavery to sin is, we see this in the Old Testament, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. And what that produces in a world is absolute and utter chaos. We saw it this past weekend in Texas with more shootings. That there's chaos when self is in the center and everybody's self is in the center orbiting around. It's just chaos. And yet when Jesus Christ is in the center and life and people are orbiting, revolving around him, there is a beautiful harmony. There is a, a beautiful order to our world. There's a beautiful fellowship that is produced. As Paul talks about freedom in these first 10 verses in Galatians 2, the end of this meeting, which we'll get into, was the right hand of fellowship being extended from Peter, James, and John to Paul and Barnabas. And that word fellowship means participation. It means sharing. It means what is held in common. So the end of this meeting and Paul fighting for freedom in Christ is this fellowship where Jew and Gentile are centered around holding in common one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. Freedom in Christ produces a beautiful fellowship marked by diversity, unity, and generosity. Let's start with diversity. Freedom in Christ produces a diverse fellowship. Look at verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Now, there's some debate as to which trip this was that Paul took to Jerusalem. He took four trips to Jerusalem. The first one is in chapter one, where he stayed for about 15 days to talk to Peter and some others. His third trip is the Jerusalem council. That's Acts chapter 15, where they make this final declaration that Gentiles don't have to get circumcised to be saved. But this visit here seems to fall in line with his second trip, which is laid out in Acts chapter 11. And that's where Paul primarily goes back to Jerusalem with money that he's collected from the Gentile mission churches to bring back to the mother church in Jerusalem where there's a famine. So it was for famine relief. We see that that was one purpose, but then we see the other purpose here. And that, that comes in this meeting that Paul has, this kind of private meeting, which was to address this growing cultural barrier that was developing between Jew and Gentile that was produced by this circumcision debate. There was this barrier that was growing. And what we see is that Paul, when he comes to this meeting, doesn't come alone, right? He brings Titus. Now, in doing that, he stirs the pot. You say, why is that stirring the pot? Well, Titus was a Gentile convert. Titus was not circumcised. We learn in verse three, he was a Greek. And so Paul is bringing this uncircumcised Gentile convert into the heart of Jerusalem where Paul's opponents were who were demanding that Gentiles get circumcised to become a Jew to actually belong to Christ. They were enraged at something like this. Paul was in, in some ways crashing, it was like a party crashing to bring Titus into the heart of Jerusalem like this. 
and you feel the tension, right? Verse four, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. You know, Paul goes to Jerusalem and he has this private meeting with, with those that seem to be influential, which we learn by the end in verse nine, that's, that's at least three of them are Peter, James, and John, Christ's inner three disciples. But yet, you know, social media, all these things, word gets out. Right? Word gets out. Paul's brought an uncircumcised Gentile into this place and he's having this private meeting. We're gonna crash it, right? That's the secret false brothers that are, that are brought into the meeting. They're gonna find out what's going on. This might be a bit extreme, but think of it this way. Think about Nancy Pelosi crashing a party at Donald Trump's place. Think about uh, Marco Rubio showing up at a Bernie Sanders event. This is party crashing, right? There's cultural barriers here. And that's what happened when he brought Titus into this place. Now, there's, there's two problems going on here, okay? The first problem is that these opponents, which were called Judaizers in chapter two, they're called the circumcision party, they were demanding that Gentiles be, get circumcised to be saved. That's a vertical problem. They were saying, to be accepted by God, you have to get circumcised, Gentile. That's the first problem. The second problem is they were demanding that Gentiles get circumcised to belong to the church, that they weren't welcome in the church unless they got circumcised. They weren't welcome in the church unless they became Jewish because circumcision was a marker of what it meant to be Jewish. Now, that's a horizontal issue, right? So the two problems were you have to be circumcised to be accepted by God, and you have to be circumcised to be accepted by us. Now, these are different but deeply interconnected, as we're going to see. What's the conclusion made at the meeting? Look at verse 3. Here's the conclusion. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, who made this decision? Well, Peter, James, and John with Paul and Barnabas, they came to this decision. Why didn't they force Titus to be circumcised? Well, I want to give two answers. One through the lens of problem number one, and the other answer through the lens of problem number two. So the first problem, you have to be circumcised, uh, get circumcised to be saved, to be accepted by God. You gotta understand, for a Jew, circumcision was everything. It was, the, I mean, it was the marker, cultural marker of what it meant to be Jewish since the days of Abraham. The removal of the foreskin was what it meant to be marked as, a, as the people of God. According to God's command, it was what meant you were in the covenant or outside the covenant. It was everything. But from the very get-go, circumcision, the, the purpose of it was to be a bloody sign of the one who would come to shed his blood to remove sin, to cut off sin. It was always a sign pointing to what Christ would come and do to cut out our sin through his blood shed on the cross. So we read in Colossians 2, 11, in Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So physical circumcision was always pointing towards a spiritual circumcision. Christ taking away our sin. 
But not only did he take away our sin, right, cut out our sin and take it away, but he gave us his perfect righteousness by perfectly obeying God's law, even as it relates to circumcision. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, it says that Jesus was circumcised at eight days old, perfectly adhering to the law of Moses, that Jesus perfectly, perfectly adhered to God's law. Every last bit of God's law, Jesus obeyed perfectly. And so because he did, circumcision didn't matter anymore. Jesus had fulfilled it. And you don't refinish the finished work of Christ. You can't refinish the finished work of Christ. It would be like taking a, a, a gold, an Olympic gold medal and refinishing it in bronze. Right? You, you don't refinish the finished work of Christ. And so the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection cannot be improved. It's finished. It's done. So no, Gentiles didn't have to be circumcised. Titus didn't have to be circumcised to get saved because Jesus had fulfilled that. Right? That's the first answer of why he wasn't forced to be circumcised. Now, the second answer is through the second problem, which was you need to be circumcised to belong to us, to be here to be accepted by us, right? It's more of the horizontal issue. It's more of the horizontal issue. It, sum that up, it's, it's, it's this. Here's the problem restated. You have to become like us to belong here. You have to become like us to belong here. You know, circumcision, as I said, it was the mark of what it meant to be Jewish. It was their cultural identity. The problem was they were saying, you have to become Jewish or become like us. Now, here's reason two why they didn't force Titus to be circumcised. If there is no difference in our standing before God because of the death and resurrection of Christ, then there should be no difference in our standing with one another because of the death and resurrection of Christ. If the death and resurrection of Christ gives us a standing before God and there's no difference in our standing before God, then there should be no difference in our standing before one another. In Christianity, one of the critiques of it is that uh, it's a cultural straitjacket. That the critique alleges that it forces people from different cultures into a single iron mold. Right? Now, one of the realities is that Christianity over the centuries has been actually very accepting of diverse cultures even more so than other worldviews. In fact, the, the pattern of uh, expansion of Christianity differs from every other major world religion in that way. So you think about Islam, right? Islam is still primarily centered in the place of its origin in the Middle East. You think about Hinduism or Buddhism that for the most part, it is, it is, it is still centered in the original place where it was founded. But that's not the case with Christianity. Christianity started in Jerusalem with the Jews. It moved to the Mediterranean quickly. Then it moved to Western Europe, North America. And now the center of Christianity is moving to Africa. It's moving to Asia. It's moving to Latin America. It's not centered in Jerusalem anymore. It has moved. It has permeated various cultures. One African scholar explains why this happens or the phenomenon. And he said this, Christianity, speaking of when Christianity was making its um, advance into Africa, Christianity 
help Africans to become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. Right, Christianity renews different cultures. It doesn't stick a cult, pull a culture and stick it into one iron mold. Freedom in Christ produces a diverse fellowship because it doesn't demand that you have to become like me to belong or become like us to belong. That freedom in Christ avoids what's called ethnocentrism. And that's just simply a fancy word that means turning a cultural distinctive into a theological necessity. See, freedom in Christ avoids that. Freedom in Christ produces diversity. If freedom in Christ is lost, then we naturally move towards uniformity, not diversity. But when freedom in Christ is embraced, we move towards diversity. Diversity of age, diversity of socioeconomic status, diversity of race, diversity of education. Right? Freedom in Christ is what produces that when there's a loss of freedom. And it's, and it's Christ plus something. We move towards uniformity and not diversity. And, and let me give you another area Another area where we tend to move towards uniformity and not diversity, and that's on the basis of what I would call relative righteousness. That's another way of saying that there is some sin that is worse than others. There's some sin that is, that is worse than another sin. And so it goes something like this. When freedom in Christ is lost, it says if, if you struggle with X and Y, you're welcome here. But if you struggle with Z, you're not welcome here. Now, let me fill that in. If you struggle with heterosexual lust and sin, that's normal, you're welcome here. If you struggle with homosexual lust and sin, mm, you're not so welcome here. Or if you struggle with drinking just a little bit too much sometimes, you're welcome here. But if you're addicted and you're going on binge drinking weekends and drugging weekends, you're just not quite welcome here. Here's what it is. If you struggle with first-class sins, you're welcome. But if you struggle with second-class sins, you're not so welcome here. Freedom in Christ produces a diversity of race, socioeconomic status, age, education, and sin struggle. Produces a diverse fellowship. So what does freedom in Christ produce? A diverse fellowship. Second, a unified fellowship. Look at verse two. I went up because of a revelation. Now that, that potentially is what we read in Acts 11 when Agabus brings this, this revelation that there's gonna be a famine in Jerusalem, that's possibly what Paul's talking about here. I went up because of a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. Now, it, it seems on the, the surface 
that Paul is seeking affirmation in the gospel he's preaching. He's like, am I really preaching the right gospel? But that would be contrary to everything we've read so far in Galatians. Because to this point, Paul said, I received it directly from Christ through revelation. I didn't receive it from man. I don't need man to affirm it. It came directly from Christ. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What he is saying is, I wanna make sure that the gospel I'm preaching is the same gospel that you Jerusalem apostles are preaching. Because if we're preaching different gospels, the church is divided and the mission to the world is compromised. So Paul is making sure, are we on the same page? Are we partnered? Are we preaching the same gospel? Christ alone, not Christ plus. Because if we're not, if the, if the Gentiles would have been required to get circumcised, it would have created a divide in the church and it would, have comprom- it would have compromised the mission of the church. And that's what happens when you lose freedom in Christ. Right, when it is Christ plus something, Christ plus will divide the church. Christ plus will compromise the mission of the church. It's the freedom in Christ that produces a diverse fellowship that's unified around Christ through which the mission goes forth. Now, what was the result of the decision to not force Titus to be circumcised? Look at verse seven. When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, and then verse eight, recognizing that God had worked through both, and then verse nine, James and Cephas, or Peter and John, gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or to the Jews. What we see here, the result of not forcing Titus to be circumcised, the result of fighting for freedom in Christ is that the mission multiplied. The gospel went forth to Jew and Gentile, to the nations. And what I love about this is that the apostles in the Jerusalem church didn't get territorial with their ministry. They didn't get prideful with their ministry. They could have squeezed tightly. They could have ramped up the control to say, we're gonna keep this thing controlled. We're gonna squeeze. We're gonna hold tightly. We're not gonna give away. We're gonna lose our freedom in Christ. They did not do that. And the result was this gospel went forth. Paul primarily to the Gentiles, Peter primarily to the Jews, The gospel went forth to the nations. Freedom in Christ birthed a beautiful partnership. A beautiful partnership. I would imagine that Paul's gospel expressions to the Gentiles might have looked a little different than Peter's gospel expressions to the Jews. Same gospel, same mission, different expressions. In fact, we know that Titus didn't get circumcised, but Timothy did get circumcised so that he would have the respect of his hearers, not to get him saved. Not, it was just simply so that he could gain an audience, that there's freedom of expression. Freedom in Christ produces a unified fellowship because it leaves room for diversity of gospel expression. And this has both corporate 
implications and personal implications. Let me just speak on the corporate implications for a second. We have here, because this was commissioning of the beaches launch, we have here uh, uh, beloved brothers and sisters from in town, from Mandarin, obviously from east, from beaches. Do you know, and, and, and many of you maybe have, that if you went to worship at one of our four families of churches, you would get a slightly different experience. You would experience slightly different worship styles. You would experience slightly different ministry tactics and strategy. But you would experience the same gospel and the same mission to see our city renewed for Christ. Freedom in Christ produces a united fellowship with diverse gospel expression. And on a personal level, freedom in Christ frees you up to do ministry without looking over your shoulder and trying to be somebody you're not. That is such a danger to look over your shoulder and see this person who's just knocking it out of the park and say, I have to be like him or her. You've put yourself back in chains. Freedom in Christ says you're gifted in a certain way, you've got certain personality, you've got a certain calling, and you have the freedom to live out that calling without looking over your shoulder. That there's freedom of gospel expression. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is diversity centered on Christ alone, not Christ plus. Unity is diversity centered on Christ alone, not Christ plus. So what does freedom in Christ produce? A diverse fellowship, a unified fellowship, and finally, a generous fellowship. Look at verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. One of Paul's primary reasons in this second trip to Jerusalem was to bring the money he had collected from these Gentile mission churches back to Jerusalem to help out with the famine for the believers in Jerusalem that needed help. That was one of the primary things he was doing. And it's such a beautiful picture. Here are these planted mission churches out in the Gentile world, sending money back to the mother church because the mother church is in need. You talk about a diverse fellowship that's unified and a generosity to give, right? Freedom in Christ produces the giving away of resources, not the hoarding of resources. Freedom in Christ produces a, a releasing rather than a squeezing, it's the understanding that we exist to give away, not just money, people, resources, right? For the gospel to be furthered, for the gospel to go forth. Why does freedom in Christ, Christ produce that? Because when you're constrained by sin, resources are limited. When you're constrained by Christ, who owns everything, Resources are unlimited. You can give away because you know that God is gonna provide and replenish and do whatever it takes when you're giving things away for the sake of a city being reached with the gospel. 
the commissioning of the Beaches Plant launch team is an absolute beautiful picture of this. The Christchurch family, Mandarin, in town, east, and now Beaches, coming together to plant, to send people out. There's been generosity from the family. You know that in the next three years, that Mandarin and InTown have committed $125,000 towards the beaches plan. That's generous. East has sent out beloved brothers and sisters. We care about deeply, but elders and deacons and ministry leaders have given them away, sent them out so that the beach can be reached for Christ through the beach plan. This is our third time doing this. East was first planted out of Christ Church Mandarin. And then East and Mandarin planted in town. And now East and Mandarin and in town are planting the beach. And Lord willing, this will happen over and over and over and over again to reach the largest landmass city in the United States with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see is that when there is freedom in Christ producing a diverse fellowship that's unified but that's generous, the mission is multiplied. Before East was planted, Mandarin was worshiping in the upper 200s. And today, four congregations in four very unique and different places in Jacksonville are worshiping closer to 900. Because there's a willingness by God, by his grace, to continue to give, to give away so that the gospel can be multiplied. It's the beautiful picture of a diverse, unified, and generous fellowship called the Christ Church Family of Churches, living out our freedom in Christ for the sake of this beautiful city to see it transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us for not fighting for our freedom in Christ? Would you forgive us for tacking things on to the gospel? maybe even subtly, maybe even not consciously, but turning Christ alone into Christ plus something. Christ plus age or Christ plus education or Christ plus socioeconomic status or Christ plus race or, or Christ plus sin struggle. Father, would you set us free? Every day, set us free in the freedom of the gospel that we would be a generous people who give away our resources, our time, our money, our talents, everything. And Father, we thank you for the work you've done in Christ church through the years to see this city reached. We claim no credit for it. It's not our special work or our doing or our strategy. You have by your spirit captured our heart worked through us to multiply your mission in this city. And we praise you for it. 
We praise you for that vision that was first captured in Mandarin that now has been multiplied into East and in town and beaches and Lord willing in the coming years, more congregations so that we can see more people reached. Father, would you remind us that although we are diverse in our gospel expressions, we believe the same gospel and the same mission and we are unified. We're a unified fellowship. Would you help us to cherish that and hold tight to that and fight to maintain the freedom in Christ that produces such a diverse and yet unified fellowship that is generous. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.